0: Okay, welcome back. So today we're gonna be talking about some tools that we can use to visualize some of our probabilities here. Okay, so these main tools are gonna be contingency tables, tree diagrams, and Venn diagrams. All right, so some of this stuff you you may have seen before, probably a tree diagram and and a Venn diagram. But let's start here with contingency tables. Okay, so contingency tables are useful, and they're, they're basically just an extension of a frequency table to two variables. Okay, so when we're looking for, for compound events, looking for probabilities here, they're, they're very, very useful. Okay, so remember back to some of our, some of our terminology. Um, if we have multiple variables, often we call them factors, and certain values of those variables we call levels. Okay, so the way we organize a table, a two-way table, whatever our our row variable is, we usually say it has r levels. Whatever our column variable is, we might say it has c levels. So we classify our our table as an r times c table. Okay, But that's one thing to remember. Whenever you're working with contingency tables, usually the rows are mentioned first. All right, r times c table. So let's look at an example of what that might look like. All right, so we have some, some survey results here on students, their smoking habits, right, and compared to their parents' smoking habits. Okay, so either they have two parents that smoke, one parent that smokes, or no parents that smoke, and they themselves either smoke yes or no. Okay, so there's two factors here. One factor has three levels, one, two, three. The other factor has two levels. In this case, we would have a three by two table. Alright, just because we called the parents' smoking status the, the row variable and the students the column variable. Now it doesn't really matter which one we call which, uh, but we just we just went with this order here. So our results would look something like this. Alright, so we've got two variables and we have so what can we use this for All right, well the first thing that jumps out at us here are what's called joint probabilities okay so joint probabilities in the language of probability right, is just these two variables or these two events intersections okay so remember our our example say we wanted to find The joint probability of a student smoking and both parents smoking okay well the first step we gotta do find our total number of people in our study here we've got about over 5,000 so really good-sized study alright and we're gonna find this joint probability on the table so we could call a student smoking call that event S it, both of their parents smoke and call that event B so really what we're looking for here is the intersection of S and B right? and that is super easy to find in a contingency table okay that's right here so there's 400 students out of the over 5,000 that have both of these qualities right? so our joint probability is about 0.0744 or if we want to put it as a percentage So joint probabilities are probably one of the first things that jumps out to us from a contingency table. right, but if we do a little bit more work and we add on to these tables, the first thing that we can add here that we can expand from this table is called the marginal distribution. right, so essentially what your marginal distribution here is your row and column totals, okay? so here we're representing our marginal distribution with frequencies and I suppose they call it the marginal distribution because you know what we have in black here is what you started with right and then you're you're summing up your totals your column and row totals out here in the margins okay so we can also express our marginal distributions as relative frequencies rather than just frequencies so let's look at how we get there so my frequencies my marginal frequencies are in blue here my marginal relative frequencies are in green so how did I get from blue to green well for example if we wanted to go from our we got a marginal frequency of a thousand students that smoke so how did I get this eighteen point six percent just divide by the total alright so use that that five thousand number in my denominator there. All right, so marginal distribution is pretty easy to find, um, often expressed as relative frequencies, and they can give us some insight here, right? Like, well, it looks like definitely the majority, over 80% of students don't smoke, but it does look like they came from parents where a lot of them had, at the very least, a single parent smoking. Right, if we add up, both of these, right, that's over 70% of people had at least one parent smoking. All right, so we can take some insights from marginal distribution. The next kind of distribution that really gives us some insight is our conditional distribution. Right? right, we've defined conditional probabilities. You might be interested in the conditional distribution when I think that one of the factors may be affecting the, the other or at least one level of factors may have an effect on the other. Okay, so this can really shed some light on what we're looking for here. Okay, remember the idea of a conditional probability or conditional distribution? We're, we're basically reducing our denominator, right? We're, we're reducing the pool. We're conditioning on a certain factor of a variable to reduce our sample space, okay, to kind of pare things down. So for our example course probably one of the more obvious questions would be something along the lines of does a student's parent smoking habit have an effect on their smoking habits okay so what if we condition okay what if I condition on parents smoking habits and look at students that do smoke okay so we'll take one of these for example so the purple here are our conditional probabilities and let's take one of these purple conditional probabilities for example All right, we're, gonna, we're gonna look at this one so this is the conditional probability that given both of a student's parents smoking what's the probability they smoke we're denoting that by given B that's both what's the probability they smoke right, remember and it does it does have to come in this order Okay, so to find this, I can put the marginal frequency in the denominator, so remember, instead of dividing by the entire sample space, right, we're conditioning on a certain level of that factor, right, so we're conditioning on the factor here of parent smoking status. To find this specific one, I divide by the marginal where both parents smoke, and my numerator, is that joint probability, right? it's that intersection. So my conditional probability, given both parents smoke, what's the probability that a student smokes is about 22.47%. Right? So we could interpret that as a little over 20% of the time if both of their parents smoke, that student will end up smoking. Okay, We could also condition on another variable. Right? So what if you wanted to condition on students' habits? So going the other way with it, right? Oftentimes when we have two factors, it may be a, a chicken and egg type situation, right? We're not sure. Well, yes, there's there may be something going on here, right? but we're not sure which is actually causing the other. So what if we condition the other way? For example, what if I wanted to find one specific probability here? Given the student doesn't smoke, what's the probability both parents smoke? So again, I'm reducing my denominator by using those marginal frequencies here. Okay, so given they do not smoke, the marginal frequency there and the joint on top in my numerator, the probability both parents smoking, given a student does not smoke, is about 30%. Okay, so marginal distributions can be interesting. Conditional distributions even more interesting. Okay, and we can draw some conclusions from contingency tables. But we also have to be a little bit careful with contingency tables because of this called Simpson's Paradox. All right, Simpson's Paradox is a look at how confounding or lurking variables, right, we've, we've talked about those before, So a look at how they can have an effect on contingency tables. And Simpsons paradox shows us that often what we'll find is if we do have the presence of a lurking variable or some sort of hidden factor at play, if we condition on this factor, the results that we get look much, much different from the original raw data. Right? And we'll look at an example here okay so let you read this and kinda get a feel for what we're looking at here okay so we've got two different approaches at removing kidney stones we've got the traditional kind of open surgery versus a new less invasive technique called PCNL okay so what we're seeing here We've got the percentage of failures of each of them, right? So if you, we, we want our percentage of failure to be lower, right? And we see overall the lower percent of failure is this PCNL, right? So maybe you're thinking, okay, wait, this PCNL, it's minimally invasive, and you have a lower risk of failure. Why would we ever want to do the, the open surgery? Why, what's the point? So, do we actually get better results with that? Well, with this example, our groups, the people who get each of these surgeries are not completely randomly chosen. Okay, turns out, if you know anything about these these procedures, turns out that less invasive version, the PCNL, is typically prescribed for small kidney stones situations where there won't be many complications. The open surgery is reserved for situations where the kidney stones larger or there complications might arise. Okay. So what if we condition on the size of the stone? So for small kidney stones, looks like we have a lot more PCNL surgeries prescribed and done here. Right, for small stones, but we see a higher percentage of failure. So that's interesting. What about for large stones? They still did some PCNL for large stones, but majority for large stones were open surgery. PCNL still has a higher failure rate. So this is why it's called a paradox. Remember our original results here. Overall, with the raw data, the failure percentage for PCNL was lower. But when we look at the data here and we condition on kidney stone, PCNL has actually a higher failure rate in both cases. Alright, so this is why it's called a paradox. It's just it's just a very strange situation. And it can pop up a lot when there's some sort of confounding factor, or some sort of some sort of lurking variable going on there. And oftentimes it's caused in situations where you're not randomly assigned to groups and we have large sample size disparate. okay so just something we got to be careful about with contingency tables okay so let's take a look at tree diagrams now so where do tree diagrams help well they if we got a situation where we need to quantify our number of outcomes in our sample space, or kind of visualize or picture our sample space, they can be very helpful. They also can help us kind of view these ideas of conditional probability. So let's let's think about an example where we might use something like this. All right. So say you decide you want to have three kids, and you want to know what are what are all the possible combinations of genders here. All right. So you may be able to think about this sample space in your head some people just have a kind of gift for visualizing situations like that Um, the obvious ones you know are okay we could have three boys we could have three girls but then you get to questions like okay boy boy girl versus boy girl boy Well, are these these different? Are these distinct outcomes? And and yes, I would call those distinct different outcomes. Okay, so maybe you can picture all those and get an idea how, how many are there total. But an easy way to count that up is just draw a tree diagram like this. So it turns out you could count the number of outcomes there or you could use a nice, simple little formula here. There are two possible outcomes, boy or girl, Three kids, two to the third gives us eight. Okay, so oftentimes this number in the number of items in our sample space is what we're after, and you may just be able to use that nice little formula there. But being able to picture the whole sample space is nice. All right, another tool that helps us are Venn diagrams. Okay, so I'm sure you've seen a Venn diagram before. I want to use a Venn diagram here to kind of picture some of these probability terms that we've talked about already okay so what does our complement look like in a Venn diagram well this entire square here is our sample space Okay, and the event we're interested in event a right, the probability of event a could be represented by all the outcomes included in that yellow circle there our complement, then, is everything in the sample space, not in A. It's that pink area. Okay, So the complement is a pretty, pretty easy conceptual idea, but visually, that's what the complement looks like. What about two mutually exclusive events? What does the Venn diagram of two mutually exclusive events look like? Okay, well, that would be not a very exciting Venn diagram there, Right, this is just a Venn diagram where they're two separate circles, no overlap. Right, so if I want to visualize the probability of A here, that's the pink area. If I want to visualize the probability of B, that's the blue area. Right, notice we have no overlap. That overlapping area is our intersection. Those are common outcomes. Okay, so making sense of remember back to our third axiom of probability it said something along these lines there is no intersection between two mutually exclusive events in other words common outcomes are the null set there's nothing there okay what if what about a Venn diagram two events that are not mutually exclusive right, that's where we do have some kind of overlap and we can picture that intersection as kind of that orange football shaped area in the middle there okay what if we now want to find our probability of just a single event A. Right, well, that is the pink area, but not just the pink area, because our pink area cuts off right here. Okay, so our probability of A, or all the outcomes in A, is everything that's in A or not B, that's what the pink represents, plus the intersection. Right, what if we want to find our probability of B? Well, that's in everything in that yellow section, that's B not in A plus their intersection. Okay, so we'll use some Venn diagrams, some of these ideas to assign probabilities in the future as well. But those are some some key tools that we use to find to visualize probabilities, contingency tables, tree diagrams, and Venn diagrams. We'll see some more examples of this in the future. Thanks for tuning in.